0: This morning is going to be a sweet morning. We've got someone extra special in the house who's going to bring the word, and uh, his name is Brandon Robinson. Brandon uh, and his wife Laura are friends of mine. Uh, They're out in Southern California at Saddleback Church. Many of you guys uh, know Saddleback, and um, they're here for the weekend, and he is going to be opening up our series, kicking it off, ears to hear. He's got a phenomenal Uh, text that he's going to be working from and this is going to be a rich time together so guys can we like show some mad young adult love right now and welcome our friend brandon robinson everybody make some noise don't be bashful come on thank you for that
1: josh as josh said my name is brandon robinson that's my wife laura in the back can you raise your hand babe Yeah, we are actually uh, from North Carolina. We are currently in Southern California at Saddleback Church. I just want to say I'm really excited to be here. This age group from 18 to 29, when I was just getting out of college, having a place, a church to belong to, a space to connect in, rooted me in my faith and rooted me in the local church. So this is a really beautiful time. This is an exciting time. This is a good part of life. So um, I want to pray for us really quick, and then we're going to jump into discussion question and then get into the message. Holy Spirit, fill this room, God. God, be with these young adults. God, be with us. God, you are with us. God, you are for us, God, and there is rest in that. Lord, I pray that you would encourage us today. God, I pray that you would challenge us today. God, I pray that you would speak and that you would inspire us today. We love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, I am kicking off this series, Ears to Hear, how to hear the voice of God. Is God speaking? We know that he may be speaking. We know that he is speaking through his word. Ears to hear. So, the first discussion question I want to get to at our tables is How do you hear the voice of God? And the follow up to that is Does God speak even if he's silent? So, take about 10 minutes at your tables, go through that. How do you hear the voice of God? Follow up to that Does God speak or can God speak even if he's silent? Go for it. All right, guys, I hope that was a good time of discussion. So, I'm 29 right now, so I'm in a part. I'm one of you guys. I'm a part. I would be a part of this ministry if I was, yeah. ish. So I met some people that are 29, some guys that are in college. I'm assuming you guys are all in that age range. And in this age range, it feels like you are making decision after decision after decision. It's what college do I go to? Should I go to community college first and then try to maybe transfer it out? Should I, what should I major in? Should I go to college? Should I just get a trade? Should I just start working right now? What should I do? Should I date her? Should I marry him? It feels like there's so many decisions that you're constantly having to make, and you want to hear the voice of God, right? You 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 want God to speak into these decisions that are going to be impacting probably the rest of your life. You want God to speak. And the problem is There's no verse that's going to be prescriptive that's going to tell you, major in this, move out of state, stay here, look for a job, ditch your major, maybe get a job somewhere else that you're going to make a little bit more money. There's nothing that's going to tell you that in the Bible what to do, and it can cause some anxiety, some angst in us when we want to hear from God, but the Bible isn't necessarily clear on what are those things specifically, God, that you want me to do, right? So what do we do if he's silent? We want to hear the voice of God. We have decisions we have to make. But we feel like it's silence, nothing, not a crickets, and you're like, God, that's been my experience. Like, God, I want to hear from you. I need to hear from you. And it's, have you left me? Have you abandoned me? Did I do I have sin in my life? Is is something going on? Are you displeased with me? Why are you not speaking? me. So this morning, I want to unpack the silence of God. As we enter this, uh, this series about hearing the voice of God, ears to hear, what do we do if God is being silent? What do we do if we can't hear the voice of God? Can we still make a decision in confidence and feel like, yeah, I'm in the will of God here, even if we don't hear his voice? So for me, when I was in college, around 19 years old, I had just started to really grab hold of my faith, get intentional about my faith. I had a, a great mentor. He would always ask me that. When are you going to get intentional about your faith? And I was like 18 around that time, and I was like, I, I don't know. Like, I kind of grew up in church. I know some Bible verses, but uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe soon. But around that time, my sophomore year of college, 19, I started to get intentional with my faith. And in that, I decided I'd never really read the Bible. Like, I grew up in church. I did a WANA when I was a little kid. I don't know if you have a WANA here, but, you, you know, you memorize all these. Yeah, there we go, some Awana people. You got your vest and all that stuff. You know, I memorized some scriptures, some verses, but I didn't really know what the Bible said. I didn't really know what God was doing or what God was speaking. So I decided, you know what? I'm going to read the Bible for the first time, and I'm just going to start page one. Genesis chapter one, verse one. In the beginning, I was in the beginning. I don't necessarily... Uh, recommend this because it took me about 22 chapters to get in and jack myself up. Bad. Like, I got to the story of Abraham and Isaac, and God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. And it was a test. And what I did was I took Abraham's life and overlaid my life on top of it. And I started to obsess. Any, any, any uh, Enneagram ones? I'm an Enneagram one. Anyone Enneagram here? Some ones? Some ones-ish? Okay, so you have this desire for right and wrong. You want to know what's the right thing to do, what's the wrong thing to do. I want to do the right thing. So I became obsessed with this idea of God is testing me like Abraham. Only difference was my name is Brandon, not Abraham. But anyway, so I'm like, Ah, oh God, what am I going to do? Should I go this way? Should I switch from major? What should I do? God, I want to hear your voice. And I felt like if I didn't make the right decision that I was going to derail my life For the next ten years, I felt like every decision was high stakes, do or die, and it brought me so much anxiety, so much angst. And then you would hear things. I went to Liberty University; it's a Christian university on the east coast in Virginia. And you hear things people say, like you know, when the teacher's most silent during the test, and that would freak me out. I'm like, God, I'm, I'm see, God's silent; He's testing me, and I don't know what to do. God, help me, help me. What do I do? This paralyzed me. Like I said, everything. Absolutely every decision became do or die, high stakes for me. And what it made me feel, it made me feel like God was angry with me. It made me feel like God was exhausted with me. And that if I made the wrong choice, like I said, I would derail my life for the next 10 years. And I have to get back on track. And God would just be like, I told you so. You don't listen. I was speaking to you, but you couldn't hear me. And I told you to go left and you went right that's not actually the case, but that's how I felt. I felt like God was just exhausted and angry with me, and every decision felt like it had so much gravity, so much weight to it, and it was just crushing me. So we all have these decisions to make in our lives, but again, what do we do if we feel like God is silent, or maybe God is being silent? Can we still make a decision? Can we still move? So we're going to get into our text, First Kings 19. We're going to talk about Elijah, but just, uh, first of all, a little bit of context with Elijah. So, Elijah is a prophet. So, don't think of a prophet like this kind of spooky fortune teller who's like kind of hides out in the woods and there's smoke, like he moves in a cloud of smoke around. And that's not necessarily what a, what a prophet is. A prophet is someone who hears from God and speaks to God's people or is speaking God's truth to power, to the power structure of that day. So, that's what Elijah is. And he's speaking to Israel, he's speaking to the power structure, to the kings. In Israel. So a little context before we get into uh, our text. So we have King. king. The kingdom of Israel is divided. There's Israel in the north. There's Judah in the south. Uh, Elijah is a prophet to Israel in the north. And Israel in the north, they are like, they cannot get it right. God has given them opportunity after opportunity after opportunity, and they continue to turn their hearts away from God, from Yahweh. And it says that King Ahab, up until that point, that he was the most wicked, or the most evil king that Israel had up until that point. And what he did was he married a woman named Jezebel. Now, Jezebel, uh, she is from a place called Sidon. Think of Sidon as it's a, it's a, a bigger city. It's a city with some power, some, some gravitas. Think of it, it's like a, like a LA, or something like that, where there's major players there. It's a, a big city. Things are happening there. They have a lot of influence and sway. So Ahab, King Ahab, marries Jezebel. She's from a royal line there. So what he does is he aligns Israel with Sidon. There's a political alignment there. So Jezebel gets on the scene. Jezebel goes, okay, so this whole Israel, God, Yahweh thing, yeah, that's out, that's dead. Yahweh out, Baal in. Yahweh's coming out. I'm killing all the prophets. Baal, you're in. I got my own prophets now. She has 450 prophets of Baal. She totally flips the structure of Israel upside down. She uh, uh, institutes her own religion, the God that she worshiped, which is Baal. So this is a problem because Elijah is a prophet, right? This is this whole Yahweh out thing that's not going to work for Elijah. So Elijah goes, no, 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 no. So Elijah's kind of on the run a little bit. He doesn't have a great relationship with Ahab and Jezebel. In fact, they want to kill him. He's a prophet of God. So he's on the run. They can't find him. They're looking for him in different places. And then it finally comes to a head. He has enough. It finally comes to a head. God speaks to him. And then he comes and shows himself to Ahab. Ahab. And he says, all right, Ahab, get all of Israel. Get everyone. We're going to go to Mount Carmel. We're going to have a little contest between God, the God of Israel, Yahweh, and Baal. So what we're going to do is they set up, he gets, there's 450 prophets of Baal, and then there's one prophet, Elijah. And what they do is they set up these altars, and they chop up a bowl, and they say, okay, either Yahweh's going to show up, God's going to show up, or it's going to be Baal. And the proof of what is going to happen here is whoever God consumes this bowl with fire, that is the one true God. So they have this... Um, almost like this contest in front of all of Israel. They're all watching. Think of it like a major, a big stadium where there's a huge crowd and they're all looking at this contest, waiting for who's going to show up, what God is going to show up, because they're kind of in the middle a little bit. They have Yahweh over here that they kind of have some history with. And they're like, yeah, we, we dabble, but we're also worshiping Baal. So they're kind of caught between two minds and the people are looking for who's going who's to show up, who's going to win this thing out. So what happens is, Obviously, God shows up. Elijah ends up killing all 450 prophets in a kind of gruesome scene. Um, Jezebel gets wind of this, and she goes, oh, Elijah did what? He killed all the prophets, and he sends a message to him and says, God, strike me down if I don't do to you what you did to them, which brings us to our text. Can you bring that up for me, please? Awesome. It says, so he just comes off this major victory. The people of Israel are turning their hearts back to God, back to Yahweh. And this is what it said, verse 8. So he got up, ate and drank, and then on the strength from that food, he's running away. He's scared. He's running for his life. He walked 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. That is a very important place. We'll come to that later. He entered a cave there and spent the night. Suddenly, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of armies, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are looking for, for me to take my life. It goes on, then he said, and God says, go out and stand on the mountain in the Lord's presence. This is at this moment, the Lord passed by. A great and mighty wind was tearing at the mountains and was shattering the cliffs before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a voice, a soft whisper. That can also be translated as silence. Very smart people have gone back and forth on this. Is is it silence or is it a soft whisper because Elijah hears him? So how can God speak in silence? So there's some discussion there, but we can also read that as silence. There's a voice in silence. The silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle, went out, and stood at the entrance of the cave. Suddenly, a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He says the same exact thing. He says, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of armies. He replied, But the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they're looking for me to take my life. Then the Lord said to him, Go and return by the way you came to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you are to anoint Haziel as king over Aram. You are to anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel, and Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel, Meholah as prophet in your place. Then Jehu will put to death whoever escapes the sword of Haziel, and Elisha will put to death whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, but I will leave 7,000 in Israel, every knee that has not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Okay. So what, there's some things here that, remember that Elijah goes to Mount Horeb. Mount Horeb is a place that he, he's familiar with, his people are familiar, familiar with. He's an Israelite. So at Mount Horeb, that is a place where God has traditionally shown up. Three important things happen here. God enters into the covenant with Israel after the exodus on this mountain. God reveals himself to Moses on this mountain. And God gives the law, the Ten Commandments, on this mountain. Elijah knows exactly where he's going to when he's on, when he's running for his life. He knows where he's going to. He's like, I'm going to go to a place where God has shown up. God will be there. My people know that God is there. But here's the thing. And on top of that, it says there was wind, there was an earthquake, and there was fire. When God showed up traditionally, there was these big, grand displays of almost like natural disasters. When God shows up to Moses on this very mountain, there's fire fire, there's smoke, there's lightning, things are dying, people are terrified, and they know the Lord is on that mountain with Moses. He knows this backstory. He knows what's happening. So what God is doing is he's showing him, hey, you're expecting me to show up in a certain way, and I'm in the unexpected. You're on this mountain, where, you have tradi- where I've traditionally been, where you know that I'm going to be there, you're on this mountain where so much history has happened. There's fire, there's wind, there's an earthquake, there is rain. That's what you are expecting to see. You're expe- you're, you're, you have been uh, conditioned to know that that's how I show up, but I'm in none of that. And he shows up to him in a soft whisper. Now, now what can we take from this? One, we know that God is not bound to our expectations of him. So when we're talking about, The voice of God, hearing the voice of God, just like Elijah, a lot of times God comes in unexpected ways. We're looking for him in a certain uh, maybe stream or tradition, or God, this is what it's looked like for my family, this is what it looked like for me, maybe in the past. And God is saying, No, 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 there's no, you can't place an expectation on how I'm going to show up. I'm not bound to your expectations. So in this paradigm shifting move, he flips Elijah's world upside down and comes to him in what? Silence. So why does God do this in the silence? Why does God show up to Elijah this way in this soft whisper or in the silence? I think it does two things. It exposes our bad theology, our way of thinking about God, and it also introduces us to the living God. See, Elijah's on this mountain, and it's interesting that what God says to him, he says, Elijah, w- what are you doing here? Why are you here? Have you ever had one of those, uh, those moments where it's like an awkward silence, what's it like? It's loud. It's deafening. You have an awkward silence with someone and they're just looking at you and you're kind of looking at them and you're like, is there something in my teeth? Is my fly down? Do I smell bad? Did I say, did I offend them somehow? It causes us to look inward in a way that other things just don't. The silence is loud and it turns us inward. We start immediately looking at ourselves. What did I say? What happened? What happened? why is there this silence? Because it's unnatural. It doesn't feel normal to us. It doesn't feel normal to us. And it introduces us to the living God. So the thing is, God asked Elijah twice, Elijah, what are you doing here? He knows that he's in the place where he's traditionally shown up and in the ways that he's traditionally spoken. And he's asking Elijah almost like, now, you know, this isn't location-based, right? You know that my presence isn't bound to just this mountain. You know that I'm with you. You're a prophet. I speak with you wherever you are at. You know that I'm not just here. So, Elijah, what what, what are you doing here? Why, Why are you here? And it's the same thing with us, right? We go to these familiar ruts of, God, I want you to speak to me, and we go back to the same things that we maybe have heard someone else. God has spoken to them like that, so maybe I need to try that. Or maybe it's, man, God God has spoken to me when I was like 11 like this, so maybe I need to get back to that place into my room in my hometown to hear God because that's the last time I heard God. Maybe it's sad, but here, think about this for a second. Now, if you have accepted Christ, there's a thing called union life with Christ. That means that Christ is in you and you are in Christ. Christ is in you and you are in Christ. And you also, what's more than that, you've been given the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit resides in you. Now, at this time, traditionally, God's presence was bound to the temple. And now he's saying the temple is now in you. Heaven and earth are meeting in you. God's presence is with you continually. God's voice is with you. It's not bound to a location. It's not bound to new life. It's not bound to the mountain. It's everywhere. Wherever you are at, God is with you because you are in Christ, and Christ is in you, and you have been given the Holy Spirit. God is with you, and God's presence is with you. And you don't have to be in a certain location. You don't have to be on certain holy ground to feel like you are closer to God or that God can speak to you. God is with you. Now, there's a danger here because for me, when I started reading the Bible for the first time, I started interpreting the silence negatively. And there's a problem that we can confuse God's silence with God's presence, and that's not the same thing. God's silence and God's presence is not the same thing. Even though if God is being silent, God is still with you because you are in Christ. So there's different type, for me, it was God is testing me. We have these ideas of God or or, uh, this bad theology that keeps us from hearing the voice of God. Like I said, for me, I felt like God was testing me and I had to prove my worthiness to him. And if I proved my worthiness to him, then maybe, just maybe, God would speak to me. Maybe I would hear his voice. And maybe it's for you, I don't know. Maybe it's God wants you to try harder. Or maybe you're saying, like, I, maybe I got a little bit of a past. God wants me to suffer. I got to pay some penance first. I got to put myself on the right track with God, and then God will speak to me. Or maybe it's God is so angry with me, he cannot accept me, therefore he can't speak to me. Now, all these things are different things that we wrestle with, and there's more than that. There's different things that, uh, that go through our mind that the enemy speaks to us or the plants in our minds or just or whispers to us. But God has something to say about this. Now, like I just said, we're, if you've accepted Christ, you are now in Christ, and you've been given the Holy Spirit. So what does God say about these, this incorrect thinking of him? Right? So I'm thinking, God, you're testing me. I'm thinking, God, I've got to prove my worthiness to you. But hold a second. If I'm in Christ, and the Father accepts Christ, and I'm in Christ, that means the Father now accepts me. And if I've been given the Holy Spirit, that means heaven and earth are literally meeting inside of me. And the same thing for you. So Jesus was already tested. I don't, God is not putting me back through a test. I'm not Abraham. See, everything is running through Jesus. Jesus already got tested, and he already proved his worthiness. Jesus already tried hard, and he was without sin. There is, God is not saying try harder, do more, get bigger, better, and faster. That's not what God is saying. God is not asking you to suffer. Jesus already suffered. There's an exchange that happens. Jesus says, hey, I'm going to take your sin. You give me that, and I'm going to give you my righteousness instead. I'll suffer in your place. I'm going to pay the penalty for this sin. God is not angry with you. Like I said, the Father accepts Jesus fully, and you are in Christ, so the Father accepts you fully. This is important because we listen to what we trust, and if we don't trust that God is good, if we don't trust that God is speaking, if we don't trust that we can hear his voice, then we're going to have a really, really hard time hearing his voice. If we don't trust that he's good, if we don't trust that he's for us, If we don't trust that he's with us, we follow what we trust. We don't follow what we believe necessarily, what we know. It's an innate gut feeling. I trust that, therefore I'll follow that. And if we don't have that with Jesus, if we don't have that with the Spirit, we're going to have a hard time hearing the voice of God. Also, what's interesting about this story is God's silence is an opportunity for Elijah. It reorients him to get back on mission, to get back in the story of God. So it's important, if I were to ask you, hey, do you know what God is up to? Do you know what God's doing? Do you, what's going on? If I were to ask you that question, it's important that we know the answer to that question, that we know what God's up to, that we know what he's doing, that we know that his purpose is and what he's trying to accomplish. You see, it's important that we know that God is redeeming the world and reconciling the world back to himself. That is the bigger, more beautiful, overarching story of the gospel and that we are a part of that. And the problem is we try to pull God into our stories and into our narrative. And God, I need an answer for this hyper-specific thing right now. Help me. Give me something. And God is saying, I want to pull you into my story. I want to pull you into my mission and what I'm doing. And when you find yourself located in my story, my voice is going to get a whole lot clearer to you. Some of these smaller decisions, who should I date? Where should I live? Should I stay in state? Should I go up to Denver? Should I go to Fort Collins? Should I move to Arizona? All these type of decisions get a lot clearer when we start to find ourselves in the story of God and not trying to pull God into our story. God is reorienting us. God is bringing us into his story. And it's the same thing with Elijah. He says, okay, Elijah, I want you to go back exactly the way you came. You went 40 days and 40 nights through this mountain. I want you to go back the exact way, and you're going to anoint three people. And by the way, one of those guys is going to be your successor in ministry. In other words, Elijah, the ministry is not stopping. You are a part of this story. The show is going to continue to go on. God reorients him back on mission. So how God speaks to you, I don't know. I can't tell you that. I can't tell you what the unique, specific things that God knows you personally and intimately and what resonates with you. I don't know that. So how God speaks to you, I don't know. But what he speaks, that's a different story. That needs to line up with what we know of God in Scripture and what we know that God is doing. That's why it's important that we have an understanding of the story that we're a part of, of the family that we're a part of, of what God is doing. That's important. So does God speak? Yeah absolutely God speaks. Does God speak in the silence? Yes, absolutely God can speak in the silence. For sure. How do we know this? We know this because he's already spoken. He's given us his word. We know what he says in his word. He's spoken. He's speaking, and he's going to continue to speak, and God doesn't change. That, that message isn't changing. His story isn't changing. What God is doing isn't changing. So if, if we know what God has done, then we have a pretty good idea of what we know what he's speaking right now, and we have a pretty good idea of what we know what he's going to be speaking. In the future, all of this brings clarity to the voice of God. So now, through this lens, with that being said, silence now becomes an opportunity, one and an invitation. It's twofold. It's an opportunity to grow. The, the, the goal is character, I promise you. And people used to say this when I was trying to find a job and I didn't have money I was living with my parents, they'd be like, "God cares much more about your character than he does with your career." And I'd be like, "Why? I, I, I kind of want him to care about my career too, because uh, I want to make some money and get out of my parents' house, so can God care about that too? But the, 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 the point is that your growth is more important to God. Your character is more important to God than how many, much money you make or where you live or where your career is. So what do I mean? Think about it like this. When you're a kid, right, your parents tell you everything to do. When to go to sleep. Don't touch that. Eat that. Brush your teeth. Go to the bathroom. You have to be taught how to go to the bathroom when you're a kid, every part of your life is directed by your mom or your dad or both of them. Everything is regimented. You have a time to go to sleep. You have a time to wake up. It's all directed. But as you get older, something happens. You get some freedom. As you mature, you get some, some opportunities to grow and your parents aren't telling you when to brush your teeth. Maybe you get a little bit more curfew. Your parents aren't telling you when you need to be back in the house or what you need to eat, or you need to eat your vegetables, and you need to drink milk. Your parents aren't telling you that because you've matured, because you've grown. That's the goal. See, and it's the mature person that can make choices within certain parameters. So when we talk about hearing the voice of God, when we find ourselves located in the story of God, what are these certain parameters? Well, one, it's the Word of God. What is God doing? What's God spoken? How do we fit in and participate in this gospel? Two is prayer. What are you sensing that God is saying to you in prayer? In silence? What are you sensing that, what are those things on your heart that just resonate, that just feel like they stick, that you think about it during the day when you wake up, when you have free time, it's just there you're interested in and you like it? Those are things from God. God may be speaking to you in those situations. And also, people who are older, community, wiser, who have some more experience that you can run by and say, hey, I'm feeling this. It kind of makes sense what God is doing does this make sense to you? Can I run this past you? Does this, does this sound like God to you? Does this, could this be God? People who have walked you, maybe lapped you in life, that maybe have kids your age that can say, yeah, that sounds like God. That lines up with what I know of God. That sounds like something God might be saying. That sounds like it's true. So it's scripture, it's prayer, it's community. And if we're within that fence, we kind of have some parameters where we can make a decision. Where Your parents aren't telling you what to do or God's not telling you what to do. He's saying, hey, choose. When I was deciding where to go to college, I had a few different options. I played football in college. I had a few different options of where I could play, and I was freaking out over which one I had to go to. And my dad said, maybe God's just giving you choice and you just pick. And when we pick, when God gives us this choice in the silence, when we pick, we find out on the end of that silence, on the end of that choice, God's there with us, that God's presence is there with us, and that God has not abandoned us. It's an invitation. It's an invitation, again, to locate ourselves in the story of God, not pulling God down into our story, but getting swept up into a more beautiful, more grand picture of the gospel, a bigger narrative that we are a part of a family and we participate with God in redeeming and reconciling the world, whether that's your table that you're sitting at, whether that's your school, your job, your community, your family. We are joining God in what he's doing. So with that being said, let's jump into our last question. It's kind of a twofold again. What are you believing about God that is keeping you from hearing God's voice? So maybe what's that bad theology, that incorrect thinking about God that's holding you back, that you feel like, I can't hear the voice of God because God is angry with me or I got to prove to God first that I'm worthy of hearing his voice. What are those things for you that you're believing about God that's keeping you from hearing the voice of God? And then two... How does the work of Jesus address this? So let's spend about 10 minutes at your tables talking about that, and then we'll wrap up the service.
0: Hey, we're gonna, we're gonna bring this to a close. Uh, so let's go ahead and let's all stand up to our feet as we're wrapping up those conversations. And I'm gonna pray us out and then uh, give us a couple closing instructions real quick. First of all, can we thank Brandon for bringing it this morning? Thank you, man. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. let's pray. Father, as we go from here and into the four corners of the city, I pray that we would be sons and daughters who are fully uh, comfortable in our own skin, fully comfortable as your people and fully comfortable showcasing the life of the kingdom everywhere we go. Lord, I pray that the entirety of our lives would be a sweet-smelling fragrance up to you and out to the world around us, Lord. We pray that the gospel and the life and the light of the kingdom would shine bright this week. We pray that you would order conversations and relationships as you see fit, and we pray that everything we find our hands doing, we would see that that is vocation. That is calling. That is life on the table for us today. And that can even be worship that we offer up to you. Make it so. Let our lives showcase your glory and your goodness this week. And we pray that you would send us out with peace. You'd send us out with protection. Would you hem us in behind and before all week? Lay your hand upon us, preserve us, and grant us peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the people of God said, amen and amen.